Good morning. It is still morning, yep. Um, hey, uh, one quick announcement. Uh, makes me a little sad because of what it represents, but most of you know that Pastor Greg is retiring at the end of this year. I think the COVID crisis has made it easier for all of us, but harder for Greg because he's just a guy that likes to be around people all the time. But um, he's cleaning out his office, like his bulletin board of all his grandpa stuff uh, from his grandkids is gone. And, and every time I walk in, there's a little bit less there. He's given me some books, some nice commentaries. They've been very helpful, but it's just a little, it just, ouch. So I'm just going to grieve a little bit out loud, but he found something in his office that he doesn't belong to him and it may belong to you. And I'm going to assume that it's new to whoever and not unused because it is in very good shape. Um, but this is a life application Bible, a new international version. Uh, there's no name. There's no markers in it. There's a uh, bookmark in blue sticky in Acts 28. There is some uh, highlighting in James and there's some highlighting in 2 Samuel. It is a large print edition. If you don't want it, I'm going to use it because then I don't have to wear these when I'm reading. Um, but if you want it, contact the office. If, you, if it's yours, no one's going to steal a Bible, right? So if it's yours and you left it in Greg's office and you're wondering where it is, we have it. So just contact us at church anytime this week. And uh, otherwise, you're going to start seeing it right up here in the pulpit. So um, that being said, I'm going to offer a prayer. And we're going to get into the last section of Revelation chapter 2, the seven. Seven lessons from seven churches, from seven letters to seven churches. That's our series right now. So let's pray together. Lord, this is, um, this is a church that you didn't, you had some great things to say to, but you really, really put it to them. So I want us to hear, I know you want us to hear what you want us to hear, not what I have to say. So Lord, I'm asking that you stand in my shoes, so that you give me your thoughts and you speak with my mouth. The cadence, the demeanor, the passion, the compassion, whatever you want said, Lord, I pray that, that you say it and that you give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and hearts to receive whatever it is you want us to receive. Lord, I will speak your word even when I'm uncomfortable, but I want to make sure that it is your word and not mine. Pray these things in Jesus' name, through the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now, this church in Thyatira, just a little, you need a little background on it. Um, and there's a bunch of stuff I'd love to give you, but time does not permit. Uh, pastor types, when we study, um, there, I mean, I could, there's an hour on Thyatira I'd love to give you because it's just really interesting to me. But what do you need to know? Here's some things about Thyatira. On this Roman road, all these churches kind of follow the Roman road uh, in Asia Minor. Um, it is the least significant town of all the letter of all the churches in the towns of these seven churches that show up in Revelation chapter two and, and three. Um, it, all of the others have they've been given honors, like they're allowed to have a a, a temple to 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 the emperor, or they have a really big uh, they're at a seaport, or they're just something really significant about them. This town is a bit more blue collar than all the other towns of all these other churches. I'm not saying that they're insignificant. They just were just on the rise as far as anyone ever hearing about them. In fact, um, we only hear about Thyatira one other time in the, in the New Testament, and that is that Paul met a woman who traded in purple. 
and she was from Thyatira. Purple, well, you don't trade in a color. Thyatira was known for the minerals in its water. We know this now. The minerals in their water made it so that when they made dyes for textiles or clothing, um, those colors, especially red and purple, were very vibrant. And they were just starting to come up and be a town or a place that their fabrics were desired all around the known world. But here's some things about Thyatira. Very trade-oriented, not, not trade as in uh, trade like out there, but tradesmen. So you had bronze smiths and silversmiths. You had, you had bakers, um, and you had the textile industry. Now, they didn't, they, it's not like here when you have factories and you, there's these huge looms. People had to make these things one at a time. And so each of these trades has a guild that goes with it. And a guild is it's kind of like a trade union, like we have today. There are, you could not be a silversmith in Thyatira and, and not be part of the guild that made sure that accepted practices kind of set the prices so that no one undercuts everybody else. It was economic suicide to not be part of the guild that went with your trade. If you tried to go independent, it would, uh, you would be blacklisted. No one would buy your product and you would end up either having to move or join the guild and participate in every way. Here's the thing about those guilds though. They all had a God that they worshiped, kind of a token deity. Now, Apollos is, um, is the, is the deity kind of of that particular town. Alexander the Great founded it, uh, founded the town and left his God behind. Uh, Alexander the Great, all his soldiers, Apollo, some say Apollo, others say Apollos, but he's the son of Zeus, the kind of the father of the gods. So Apollos is seen as both a God and the son of God. But they, so Apollos is kind of the, he's the big God of that town. It's not, the towns then aren't like the towns today. When you go to Marne, or you go to Grant, which is where Kurt was yesterday or this, this weekend, um, or Zeeland, Holland, Grand Haven, South Haven. Uh, there, every, every town has its own little unique thing. But for the most part, if you live in Western Michigan, there's a culture that kind of permeates, this kind of ubiquitous to the whole area. These towns were basically many civilizations. Yes, they had the Greco-Roman Hellenized, you know, you could, you, could, you could talk and talk and talk about what they did have in common, but each particular town was like a mini civilization. What's unique to Thyatira is these guilds, and if you were a member of a guild, each guild had a deity, a god, and you, in order to participate in the guild, you had to worship that god. And every year, each guild had a huge festival where all the people came. Have you ever been to the festival in Grand Rapids? And I don't think they had it this year, right? But it, it, May or June, I, I know I, I, would, I danced one time in the, in the festival. Parachute pants, the whole deal. I mean, the whole, I, I, break city boys, man, I was. It's the festival of the arts, but it's mainly food, right? And so you go and you try different, different cuisine and you people like to drink different craft beverages. Lots of kids in the room. These festivals are like that, but, and because there's kids in the room, I'm gonna just use a word, promiscuity and immorality It's in the scripture, so I'll just say it. Sexual immorality. How people behaved in public 
with their bodies with people that they weren't married to. In order to be a part of the guild, you had to participate in these festivals and you were expected to participate in all the things of the festival. When Jesus speaks to this church, he's talking to Christians who are part of those guilds that are participating in those things. And he has some very, very strong words for them. And I'm gonna tell you that he has some very strong words for us because we are not that different than Thyatira. There are temptations everywhere. So if, you've, if you're someone in this room today that has messed up in the realm of intimacy, he's a prison shaker, he's a chain breaker, and he's a pain taker. So this is not, this is not for you specifically, anyone in the room. I didn't plan when we were going to do this particular one. It just fell today. But those of us who have messed up but don't really want anyone to know, that's who God's talking to today. So here's how it reads, and we'll get to the woman Jezebel here in a minute, but that's the stuff in order to understand what Jesus is saying to this church, those guilds, those festivals, those practices. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write this. These are the words of the Son of God. He's saying, Apollos, no. Domitian's son, Domitian was the emperor. He's considered a God. His son is the Son of God. No, he's saying, if you're gonna be, if you're gonna, the one who's above all of those, the Son of God, the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. He's talking to the trades. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance and that you are now doing more than you did at first. This is a church on the rise. It's not one of those who lost their first love and they're doing less. They have good theology, but they don't care about God or care about people anymore. This is a church on the rise. They're doing even more than they used to. It's, it's good stuff. But he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You, this church, tolerate that woman, Jezebel. By the way, Jezebel is not a compliment. Okay, in scripture, it's never a good thing to be called Jezebel. Je and, and it's probably not her real name. It's the name that God is putting on her so that all the people of God will understand a little bit about her character. The Jezebel we know from the Old Testament, Ahab was a king. He was a wicked king of God's people. He was wicked because he was weak. He would be faithful. And then he married this woman, Jezebel. Jezebel was a worshiper of Baal, a demon. And she would bring the worship of Baal in and, and try to convince the people of God that they should worship that. And, and Ahab, would, he would give in to it. And she murdered 450 prophets or preachers of God's word and then raised up a bunch of prophets of Baal and, and had people desecrate where they worshiped God with things of the devil, of the demons, and even to the point where they sacrificed their own children to satisfy a deity. So when, when, when Jesus is saying, you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, he's, he's taking this woman who's doing what she's doing and saying, remember how bad it got when your, you, your ancestors were deceived by someone before? It's the same now. That woman, you, nevertheless, I have this against you, you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality, into eating food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering 
and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, not talking about her actual offspring. She referred to her followers as her little children. I will strike her followers dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called dark or deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Hold, only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does, and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule, meaning those who persevere, he will rule them with an iron scepter. Jesus, later on in Scripture, is told that, 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 that he's the one who, who rules with an iron scepter, and, I, and you will da- he will dash them to pieces with, like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. Jesus is the morning star. He, he, will give, he will give those who persevere himself. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is tough stuff. I don't like any of it, especially because he's talking about suffering and death that comes from God's hand but it certainly comes off like Jesus isn't kidding. Like he's not, he's not, he's not just playing nice. He's not like, well, hey, you know, to, like the, remember the, the man who, the rich young man who said, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. Well, I've kept all those since I was a kid. Well, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow me. And the guy walked away. Jesus didn't go, oh, 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 I'm just kidding. It was hyperbolic. I was using hyperbole. I was, I, I was asking a lot, expecting a little. I'm just kidding. It's not what he said. And I saw my spit come out too. Uh, we're far enough away. He, he's not kidding. If, in fact, I would ask you to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. We, we hear, oh, blessed are the peacemakers and the meek, they'll inherit the earth. We love that part right at the beginning. But you start reading through what Jesus tells the people about how they see others, like a... a a man who lusts after a woman commits adultery in his heart. When he says, let your yes be yes and your no, no, anything beyond that comes from the evil one. When he, when he says, when he says you, you don't, make, don't make vows, just let your word be your word. He, there's some, so we, we think that the Sermon on the Mount is this nice, tender, compassionate thing, but it's really hard. And he's trying to say to us, as he's saying to the church in Thyatira, folks, it matters not just what you believe, but how you behave. And yes, it might be economic suicide to not be a part of a guild. And why is he talking about this meat sacrifice to idols? He, Paul had talked about it. God had talked about it. Peter talked about it. But, but that the meat that sacrificed to idols and it gets sold in the market, you don't know where it comes from. It's just meat. It's not going to do anything to you. But here, in order to... To, to participate in this guild and this sacrifice, you actually have to worship the deity that you're sacrificing these animals to. He's going, you don't worship anybody but me. Just as Pastor Irv said a minute ago, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. He's the only true God. And he is above all these other things. And they're not gods, they're demonic. 
And he's saying, do not bend your knee or your will to anything other than me. Make sure you remember whose you are, even when, even if it costs you day to day. And this sexual immorality stuff that he's talking about, I'm going to ask you as Christians one question. Those of you online too. When you hear Jesus talking about that she tempts or she leads my, she misleads my people into sexual immorality. If you were to take the word sexual immorality for today, first thing that goes through you, don't say it out loud, nobody. And don't look next door. What goes through your head? Okay. Here's the tough question. Is the thing that went through your head regarding sexual immorality the thing that applies to you or the thing that applies to other? Almost all the time when we think of what God has to say about people that do this, it's about the thing that applies to other and not about the thing that applies to me. In November, my, my half-sister got married. I got to officiate the wedding and my dad put Lynn and I up in the Don Cesar in St. Petersburg, Florida, the Pink Palace. Never in a million years would we have stayed at this hotel. And it cost way more than it should have because the room was kind of meh. Sorry, Daddy, if you're watching. It just wasn't that great. But after the rehearsal, in front of everybody, it's a phenomenal experience. And the, the, the people that were in the wedding standing up and the people that, not people that I would normally interact with. So it was a wonderful experience to proclaim the word of God to people that might not have otherwise heard it. But then after, after the rehearsal, we changed it. We're in Florida. We're on a beach. It's beautiful. And Lynn says, um, let's go for a walk on the beach. Okay, so put on shorts, T-shirt, and we walk. And we're walking through. Uh, I was going to walk around, but we're walking through all the people laying out on the beach. And this is how I walked. I learned a long time ago. <laughs> you know why? Because there's a lot of demons over here. And if you are going to talk to someone, eyes only. It's tough. Women, those of you who are married, if you have a husband, if you have a son, you might not understand that if I'm sitting in a restaurant and I'm just talking, look, I'm a pastor, but I'm a man. If I'm sitting in a restaurant, I can have my back to the door and I can tell you if a woman walks in the door that is wearing clothes that are tighter than they should be. Not because I'm turned, not because I have eyes in the back of my head, but because every man in the room knows it. And we can, we can tell. And I have to then tell myself, look at your wife. Look at your wife and only look at your wife. Don't turn. It is so, men, we're created that way by sight. But guys, sexual immorality, he's not just talking about what other people do. He's talking about what we do. He's asking us every day to hold every thought captive. So when you're online, I can go to Bass Boat Forum or BassBoatCentralForums.com and on the right, there'll be an ad that'll pop up and it'll be tempting to click it because, and it seems kind of innocuous, but it ends up going somewhere else. If you're like me and if you're male, you are, and you see a thing and you click it and you stay there, that's what he's talking about. And ladies, if you're reading the 50 Shades of or anything slightly resembling that, those trashy novels, this word sexual immorality is pornea. It means all things that are not in keeping with God's plan for your body and your mind. 
If you read those novels or those stories that make a man out to be someone who's always only looking for your every need and he always meets it and you're comparing that person to your husband, your boyfriend, your son, your, that's a fantasy that does not exist and it will do harm to your relationships. He's saying to us, I want you to be pure, pure of thought and pure of body. Why? so that we don't have any fun and we don't enjoy the pleasures of the flesh? No, that's not it. That song we just sang about being a prison shaker and a chain breaker and a pain taker. You know who causes our pain most of the time? We do. We do. God set those boundaries up not to deny us pleasure, but to protect us from shame. What is shame? I think we need a little healthy shame in our world today, but not Here's shame. I've used this illustration before. But if I'm standing up here in front of you, and if it, now that it's recorded, it'll be online forever, it unbeknownst to me, I had tearaway clothing. And someone came up and grabbed my belt and everything under it and my shirt from right behind the scruff of the neck there and yanked, and I'm completely naked in front of all of you. What is my first response gonna be? Hey, of course not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cover. I'm gonna cover. And then I'm gonna run. And I'm gonna hope to God that I never see any of you again. And I'm gonna realize that it's online, so I would rather die than continue to live. That's shame. Shame makes us want to hide. Who hid from God the first time, remember? When Adam recognized, when they, when they messed up and he recognized that he was naked, he covered and he hid. And God said, Adam, why are you hiding from, where are you? God knew where he was, but he was full of shame. And shame makes us hide from others and from God. Things that are sexually immoral bring shame on our own souls and they draw us away from God and away from other people. So why does God say, don't do that? Because he loves you deeply and he wants what's best for you. And the thing is, he actually knows What's best for you? These people were compromising for economic benefit. They were, they were doing things they knew were wrong so that they could go along to get along. Pastor Irv just said, it's every day. You become the person you want your child to be. God is the person he wants his children to be. Is he not asking us to deny the flesh so that the spirit is fed? There's an old saying, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from making a nest in your hair. Sorry, Kurt. You know what that's saying? You can't stop a thought. And you can't stop a temptation, but what you do after you have the thought or after you are tempted is up to you. You can either nurture it and feed it and go where shame lives, or you can do what scripture says and try to hold every thought captive. When you walk through the beach of Don Cesar, and you're looking up even though you don't really care about the sky, and your wife later says, what were you doing? Well, 
you, we just walked through all the bikinis. Oh, yeah, that must be hard. Yeah, it is. Why does he say, hold every thought captive? Why does he say whatever is good and right and pure and excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things? Folks, we live in a time like no other where we are tempted, men and women, like never before, to compromise, to go along, to get along. And if we don't look any different, then we're worshiping something that is not God. What's the command in here? Hold on. Romans 10.23, or excuse me, Hebrews 10.23 says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for the one who promised is faithful. So young men, you want to look. Look at your mom and ask yourself if you want someone else looking at her the way you want to look at someone else. When I was a youth pastor, I used to do at these conventions, I used to do a sex and dating seminar and I tried for a while to say, look, you can do whatever you want physically, intimately with your girlfriend or boyfriend, as long as you do it in front of Jesus. That didn't work. Because they're like, Jesus, I don't ever see Jesus. So, okay, if you leave the door, if you would leave the door open and do what you're going to do with your mom watching or grandma, go ahead. Because if it's not full of shame, it doesn't have to be hidden. And shame hides us from God and hides us from others. It separates. It doesn't pull together. So what is God's desire? Hold on to what is true. Hold on to what is pure. Hold on to what is noble. Exercise your faith so that you remain true to the one who is the truth. There's a lot of things buying for our, us to commit our lives to in our culture today. A lot of things that say this is a cause worth giving yourself to. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of those feel true. They feel good. But folks, it doesn't matter, scripturally speaking, whether it feels good. It better be good. It doesn't matter if it feels true. It better be true. If you're going to give your life to something, if you're going to bend your will to something, if you're going to say, this gets me, it better be true. What is true? The one who made you. The one who says, the one who leads you astray, this Jezebel here, who's teaching the deep secrets of Satan, it's going to go really bad. But those of you who hang on and live true, right, and noble lives, I'm not going to ask anything more from you. That's what Jesus said. I'm going to cast no other burden upon you. What are these deep secrets of Satan that Jezebel is kept? We see them all the time. Come on. You don't have to be puritanical about it. Don't, you don't, come on. Real, this is 2020. God's got to catch up with it. To, come on, really? You really think that something from 2,000 years ago is relevant today? Come on, 
really, just come on, just, just, just back off a little bit. God's all about love, makes it all good and easy. You know, you can't help. Come on. Those are the deep secrets. That's all she did. She was saying it's good and right and noble for you to worship God by worshiping these other deities because you know they're not real. So just keep doing it. God knows. And she just tempted him to go one more step, one more step, one more step. And he's saying, they're going to suffer because of it. Because they were trying not to suffer. Folks, as the person that God chose to bring his gospel to you today, I'm going to say to you one thing. He made promises to you. And you've given your life to him. Are you trying to take it back? Your mind belongs to God. Your body belongs to God. Your actions belong to God. And he wants you to reflect him. You are his poema, his masterpiece, his opus, his, his composition, his symphony. You are God's idea. And shouldn't then you be thinking and behaving in a way in keeping with what he's thinking and asking of you? That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Nothing more. Love God, obey God, love others as you love yourself. Hold on. Don't give in because the one who promised is faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we need courage to live a life that brings glory to you in our culture. And Lord, they do not want us to live a life that brings glory to you, but you do. So give us courage. Give us clarity. And help us be pure. In the name of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus, and for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen.